I've been reminded uh, this week that we can't come to the Word of God, we can't read it, we can't hear it, we can't hear it taught without being changed. Um, that there's always uh, one of two kinds of change that happens. Either uh, that we are softened by the Word of God, that we are humbled by it, that we are changed uh, to be more like God, or we can also be hardened as we come to the Word of God. We can, we can have hard hearts and we can be stubborn and we can refuse the Word that God is speaking. So as I pray for us today, I really want you to join me in prayer that our hearts would be softened before God's Word um, and that He would transform us to be like Jesus. Father, we do long for that. We know that we have stubbornness in our hearts. We know that we can be stiff-necked people. And we ask, Lord, for you to gently lead us and transform us to be like your son, Jesus. We ask for soft hearts. We ask that you would teach us and that we would be teachable. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've called today our Commissioning Sunday. It's a bit like a launch Sunday. It's a new start to the year after our summer break. Today is the day that we relaunch our mission as a church. And in particular, it's the day that we're going to launch our missional communities, which is what we call small groups here at Incarnation, uh, little groups that meet during the week. So you'll hear a lot more about that later. But as we launch our missional communities, the word that the Lord has given me to share with you today is the word from Isaiah chapter 51. So if you can grab a Bible, uh, there's lots of black Bibles um, in the pews. You might have your own Bible, Isaiah 51. If you're, if you're in the church Bibles, it's page 611. Six hundred eleven, Isaiah 51, and we're starting at verse 1. And when you found it, you'll see that right at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 51, that God is speaking. God is speaking through his prophet, and he's speaking to his people. And he addresses them um, as those who pursue righteousness. He says, listen to me, those who pursue righteousness. Now, as you guys hear those words... I expect that most of you would discount yourselves right away from that group. <laughs> um, it sounds very saintly and lofty, doesn't it? A, a far-off, special, holy group of people who pursue righteousness. So um, I want to start off by bringing you all into this group of people, um, or I won't have anyone to preach to. <laughs> so here's what Isaiah's talking about. Those who pursue righteousness. If you have a sense in your heart that you want to be a better person and you want the world you live in to be a better place, then you want righteousness. If you turn on the news and you're offended at the way people treat each other and speak to each other, offended at the unkindness and the hatred and the mistreatment and the abuse, then what you want is righteousness. Righteousness includes justice for all, but it's also more than justice. It's justice with love and with kindness and with goodness and with truth. So almost everybody wants it, really. Not just the saintly kinds of people, almost everybody. Now there is a kind of person in the world who finds beauty and goodness actually distasteful and they prefer abuse and torture and pain and that kind of person is called a psychopath. But for everyone else, there is at least some kind of interest in righteousness. We want the world to be better than it is and not worse. And I'm sure that includes all of you sitting here. 
But now that I've included you all, I'm also going to challenge you. Because Isaiah 51 isn't just addressing anyone who has some sort of vague interest in righteousness. It's talking to people who pursue righteousness. And that verb in the Hebrew is emphatic. It means people who chase righteousness, who are doggedly dedicated to hunting it down. The one thing this world needs and the one thing that my life needs is righteousness. And these people know where to look for it. They know where righteousness is found because Isaiah says, listen, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, not you who seek a better education system or you who seek a better political system or you who seek a better justice system, but you who seek the Lord. So this is people who know that our human strategies are worthless because we ourselves are not righteous. And if we look to any of those human strategies, the only good that can come, which isn't a good at all, is that we become self-righteous. And so instead of doing that, we hang all our hopes on the Lord. So we meet here to worship God and then we go out into the world to serve God in missional communities because we're pursuing righteousness. In Jesus' words, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. So listen today to what God has to say through Isaiah to people like us. When Isaiah spoke to God's people, they were a hurting and disillusioned and disappointed people. They wanted to obey God. They wanted to live in peace. They wanted to bring good into the world, but instead, they were in exile, and they felt alone, and they felt stuck in a desert, and the injustice around them seemed to be winning. And God's people couldn't understand why the good path that they had chosen had led them to this dead end. But God's word to them is comfort, comfort. And what he asked them to do is to pay attention. Pay attention. He says it over and over in Isaiah 51. Verse 1, listen to me. Verse 2, look. Verse 4, give attention to me. Give ear to me. Verse 6, lift up your eyes and look. That's like five different ways of saying, hey, listen up, (laughs) y'all. And here's what God wants to say to them. Your comfort in the present comes from the patterns of the past. Your comfort in the present comes from the patterns of the past. Look what's come before and see what's going to come. And there are three patterns of the past in Isaiah 51. Here they are. Out of one, many. Out of the wilderness, a garden. Out of chaos, justice. Out of one, many. Out of the wilderness, a garden. Out of chaos, justice. So first, out of one, many. A common characteristic of people who urgently seek righteousness is that they feel very alone. It feels like you're holding this tiny candle in this huge black aircraft hangar. And what good is the light that you hold? So God says in the second half of verse 1, Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Abraham was one man. 
a man who left his family behind at God's command, taking with him only his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and a few servants. But Abraham trusted in God's promise for descendants like the stars in the sky. How long did that promise take for Abraham? How long was Abraham living the reality of one before the first son was born? We know that Abraham had to wait until he was a hundred years old. And the wait was agonizing. The one is desperate to become many, but God did multiply him. Today, Abraham's biological descendants number in the hundreds of millions on the earth. And that's before you even count his spiritual descendants. Out of one, many. God promises to bless and multiply. That's the same word that God spoke to Adam. The very first thing God said to any person right back at the beginning of the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam had to live a brief period alone as one as the one and only human being on the earth, sifting through the animals for a friend. How glad he was for Eve, how he jumped up and down for joy. Not just a friend, not just a bride. Eve was to Adam the gift of the entire human race. Out of one, many. For it is not good for man to be alone. But Moses too knew what it was to be alone, to be one. After he fled from Egypt at 40 years old, Moses lived as a shepherd in the wilderness for another 40 years. Imagine him in the desert for 40 years, in a vast expanse of nothing, alone with a bunch of sheep. One person. And he's there still harboring the dream that maybe he could bring justice to the children of Israel, the oppressed people of God. But he's alone. He's all there alone. And he has to watch his dream slowly die year after year as he creeps up towards his 80th birthday. 40 years alone. Moses blew out the candles on his 80th birthday cake as a nomad shepherd who'd wasted and ruined his life. And he blew out the candles on his 81st birthday cake as the leader of a holy nation numbering in the hundreds of thousands and the owner of two tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Amen. That's how God can bless and multiply out of one, many. Elijah defeated and shamed 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He called down fire from heaven and he defeated the false prophets, leaders, of a horrible, dark, oppressive, abusive, murderous, satanic cult. He shamed them, and then he had them executed. But in the next scene, Elijah wants to die, because he feels so alone. He complains to God, saying, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. The lonely prophet feels so feeble. The light is so tiny. The darkness is so overwhelming. But God comforts Elijah. In his case, the one was only an illusion. There were still very many, 7,000 faithful servants of God in Israel. But Elijah's story shows the pain of one, the despair even, the weakness and the loneliness, the aching to be multiplied. It is not good for man to be
to be alone. And of course, Jesus himself knew the pain of one. And many times in his life, he was alone in the wilderness for 40 years during long nights of prayer in Gethsemane and most painfully on the cross. At the end of his life, his few remaining traumatized friends had no idea what he was really doing. Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. But we know how many grew from that one seed. Out of one, many. The same pattern repeated over and over. And Jesus promised the same for his own disciples. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The fruit is people, company, community, help and support. A holy many springing up from your one. That's the pattern and the promise. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him. That I might bless him and multiply him. So if you are hewn from the rock of Abraham. If you're a child of faith, born of that great father of faith, and if you're pursuing righteousness and seeking the Lord, then your life will bear much fruit. Maybe not soon, maybe not even in your lifetime, but don't be discouraged because God wants to comfort you. Multiplication is coming. So that's the first pattern, out of one, many. And the second pattern is, out of the wilderness, a garden. Sometimes it feels like bringing God's righteousness to earth is an impossible task, like turning the Sahara Desert into a garden. I'm enormously impressed by anyone who can cultivate a garden, even here in Tallahassee. I mean a real civilized garden with neat flowers and tidy grass. Every time I go and visit the McClay Garden State Park, I think, how do they do that? <laughs> I've owned my house a year now, and I've spent hours outside trying to tame the jungle. But I have to admit, it's still mostly wilderness. <laughs> Maybe in 10 years, I might have turned it around a bit. But with all that dry, sandy soil, poison ivy, crabgrass, man-high weeds, snake-like vines, spiders, mosquitoes, caterpillars, cockroaches, anthills, molehills, aphids, and fungus, I'm pretty sure it's never going to be the garden of <laughs> And when I'm out there, I'm reminded of that despairing proverb in Ecclesiastes that says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So part of the good news that I hang on to is God's promise to transform the wilderness into a garden. He will do it. He says it in lots of places. And one of them is here in Isaiah 51. Look at verse 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. Or another translation for that is her ruins. And makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. It's a beautiful promise that though we might not be able to tame the wilderness, God can and he will. So as we try to serve God in the world and bring his righteousness here into our own hearts and into our own communities, it's a little bit like the job of turning the wilderness into a garden. And there are two mistakes we can make when we approach this task. The first is reckoning ourselves stronger than we are. And the second is reckoning ourselves weaker than we are. 
And if you're like me, you probably flip back and forth between these two mistakes. Reckoning ourselves stronger than we are is when we say, I will tame this jungle, me, myself, and it will be a clean and tidy paradise. There might be a lot of good heart behind that and a lot of courage and willingness to work hard. But if we think that we can accomplish in our own strength the good we want to see in the world, we're setting ourselves up for radical disillusionment and disappointment, frustration, anger at ourselves and other people, depression and despair. But on the other hand, if we realize the job is too much for us, we might then say that we can't do anything. We are powerless. And that's to reckon ourselves weaker than we are. You are an image-bearing child of God, entrusted with the stewardship of his creation. So no wilderness will become an Eden under your hand, but neither will any wilderness remain unchanged by your diligent, careful attention. We cannot feed 5,000 people with the food that we have, but we do have five loaves and two fish, and we can offer those to God. And the promise here in Isaiah 51, the promise with which God comforts his people who are seeking righteousness, is that God will finish the job. He will make the wilderness into an Eden. The people that Isaiah was comforting returned to Jerusalem in the end, and they rebuilt the ruins of the temple and the city walls. Under Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, they did it. People did it in the power of God, and God gave them the victory. That's the pattern and the promise. So to those of you who are leaders and key members of our missional communities, what is the wilderness that you are trying to tame? Maybe it's the suffering and struggle within your own group or the way your group functions as a community. Or maybe it's outside the poverty and injustice you see in the neighborhood around you or the loneliness and isolation. Or whatever it is, it feels like a jungle that you're trying to turn into a garden. And it's a long and difficult job and change is very slow. But don't reckon yourself stronger than you are or weaker than you are. Don't work fiercely and desperately as if everything depends on you. And don't work carelessly as if nothing you do makes any difference. Instead, give what you have to God and take him at his word that the pattern is a promise. Out of the wilderness, a garden. So out of one, many. Out of the wilderness, a garden. And finally, out of chaos, justice. So this last pattern is like the first two, but it's on a bigger scale. So the first pattern, out of one, many, is a comfort to righteous individuals who feel lonely and isolated. The second pattern, out of the wilderness, a garden, is a comfort to righteous communities that feel thwarted in their efforts to tame and rebuild. And now this third pattern, out of chaos, justice, is a word of hope for the whole world. Look at verses 4 and 5. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Those of us who hunger and thirst for righteousness aren't going to be satisfied until the whole world is righteous. 
until there's no injustice left anywhere, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, then and only then will we be satisfied. And God promises here that we will indeed be satisfied. I will set my justice for a light to the peoples and it will spread all the way out to the distant coastlands. There are people out there far away who are waiting for it, who are desperate to see God's righteousness. And God will see that they are satisfied. And soon, he promises that his righteousness draws near. So think about Abraham again. After God called him, Abraham spent most of the rest of his life wandering around in the promised land, in the land that was going to be given to his descendants, the land of Canaan. And Abraham didn't own any property there. It wasn't his land in any kind of sense, except for a small parcel that he bought so that he could bury his wife Sarah when she died. And so he wandered around this country, and the country that he lived in had no unified law. It was tribal rule and pagan worship. Abraham lived in a land of social chaos. But because of his faithfulness, it would not be so for long. The law was coming. The Torah that was given to Moses, it would govern that whole land within a millennium. The law would turn Israel into a great nation and it would give the land where Abraham stood a long season of justice and peace. And our hope for global righteousness lies in the same place, in the law of God, the Torah. It is good and it's the gift that we're desperately hungry for. So Isaiah 51 verse 4 promises a Torah will go out from me. God says, a Torah will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. So because of that promise, we know that the darkness is doomed. The light will overwhelm it. Comfort, says the Lord. Look to the paths. Trust the promises. What might seem like defeat now is going to turn into victory. Your little candle in that dark aircraft hangar is going to be joined by the sun. Your loaves and fishes will feed a multitude. And your lonely one will become oh so very many. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed.